You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. All right, we're taking a break from our uh, study in the uh, book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 1, if you would, this morning. Uh, we're kicking off our missions conference as we take a look at our responsibility to the Great Commission around the world. We're taking a look at that starting today. Next Sunday, we'll have uh, our uh, church planters with us, uh, John and Amy Guy, planting the City Point Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. And we'll get to hear from them next Sunday. We've got a lot of great stuff planned this week for our missions conference. You won't want to miss out on that. Inside your bulletin, you should find a blue uh, uh, sheet of paper in there that has the calendar for this week and kind of the upcoming events that we have going on. Uh, No midweek service this week, Friday night service, uh, Saturday morning outreach, and then a field trip to the uh, Hawaii Mission Homes. And then we'll uh, have, get together on Sunday uh, next week and hear from the guys uh, next Sunday as well. And so uh, you won't want to miss out on any of that. It's going to be amazing. Also, uh, the week after next, that's two weeks from today, we're kicking off a brand new study uh, at 8.45 on Sunday mornings entitled Sharing Jesus. Uh, this is going to be a six-week uh, program. It's going to be a, lot, a little bit less, uh, uh, a little bit more informal type of uh, get together, where we'll get together at 8.45 on Sunday morning before the 10 a.m. service, and we're going to talk about how to share your faith with other people. Uh, grab your bulletin, if you would, inside your card, inside your bulletin, you should have a card uh, that says sharing Jesus on that. That's your enrollment card for this. I highly recommend that every single person who wants to learn how to share their faith or share their faith better register for this. We'll have child care available for you since it is early in the morning. We'll have coffee on and some uh, some continental breakfast. That's the fancy way of saying donuts and fruit, right? Um, but we'll have a small breakfast together as we get together and study this. I'll have some resources that I'll put in your hands, some books, uh, some other resources that'll help you to share your faith. 845, uh, I know it's early, but it's not that bad. Uh, come at 845, we'll be able to talk about how we can share our faith with other people. It's a six-week course, and it's more than just the Romans road. It's, it's not just, well, we're going to go take one week and go over the, each verse of the Romans road. It's a lot more than that. We're going to talk about how to uh, develop relationships, common questions that people have when you share the gospel with them, uh, common questions that we can ask people when sharing the gospel with them, uh, and it'll help you to be more secure in sharing your faith. We'll help you to be a better witness, and that's really what it's all about, taking your faith and passing it on to another person. So I highly recommend uh, that every single person sign up for this. Here's the great part about this too. When you enroll in this, in this six-week program, we're going to partner you up with another person in our church. Uh, and if you're really good at sharing your faith, we're going to partner you up with somebody who's maybe not so great. If you're not so great at sharing your faith, we're going to partner you up with somebody who is better at sharing their faith. And you two together will go out at some point throughout the week, whether it's a Saturday morning or uh, Thursday evening or something like that. You guys can work that out at your schedule and go out and actually uh, pass out invitations to church and tell people about Jesus and try to share your faith with folks. Uh, and so that's it has some built-in accountability to it. We're going to partner you up with another person who's going to help you to grow. That's the whole idea behind this. And so I want to encourage you uh, to sign up for that. You can fill that out. You can drop it off in the offering basket when it comes by. You can turn it into one of our ushers or turn it into me on your way out today. But sign up for this. I I need to know how many people are going to be here so I can make sure we have enough resources uh, for that. So if you do me a huge favor, fill out that card, uh, drop it in the offering basket today or turn it in on your way out. That would be absolutely amazing. Uh, You have a ton of other stuff in your bulletin today and I apologize for that. If we get any more stuff in your bulletin, we'll need a binder clip 
flip for it. We'll have to alphabetize it, right? I'm sorry, it's just crazy. We just got a lot of stuff in there. But that's that card there, super duper important. And so I want to encourage you to fill that out uh, and sign up for that. That starts on September the 9th at 845. If you have kids, we will have childcare available for that. And so uh, I want to encourage everyone to be a part of that. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. Today we're taking a look at uh, the Great Commission uh, and the responsibility that Jesus has given us for getting the gospel to the world. Acts chapter number 1. If you're not familiar with the way that the New Testament's set up, I want to give you kind of a brief overview and explanation of it. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we refer to these four books as the Gospels. Uh, the word gospel means good news. Uh, and it's the story of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the first three books are what we refer to as the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They kind of tell the same story just from three different perspectives. Uh, the book of John kind of stands alone on its own. John made a, a very strong case for the fact that Jesus Christ was God, is God, uh, in the flesh for us. And uh, that's the story of John. And, and there are stories that are told in the book of John that aren't found anywhere else. Uh, and there are stories that are found in the other three uh, Gospels that are not found in the book of John. So it all complements and goes together. If you don't have a good place in your Bible reading schedule right now, I would encourage you just to start off in the book of Matthew. You cannot go wrong in, in learning more about Jesus Christ. You just can't. And, and uh, read it and see how Jesus interacts with other people, how he talks with people, and uh, the things that he shares with folks. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to read the story of Jesus. But when we finish the first four books of the New Testament, then we go on to the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is set uh, right after Jesus has ascended uh, or is preparing to ascend into heaven. He's risen from the grave by this point. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four cover his crucifixion and his resurrection. And the book of Acts also includes his ascension to heaven. And then from there on, the rest of the book of Acts is what took place after Jesus went back to heaven. And so uh, the book of Acts, fascinating read uh, as well. We find ourselves in Acts chapter one. We're gonna start in verse number one here today uh, as we take a look at this. Acts chapter one, verse number one, thy, the former treatise I've made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. Uh, just pause here for a second. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, Luke was a medical doctor. He was a physician. Uh, and most people believe that he was, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for uh, when you hire somebody to do something for you, uh, like paint a picture or something like that? Commission, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, commissioned by Theophilus uh, to write the book of Acts. Uh, and to t tell the story of what happened with Jesus in these early churches. So uh, Luke, when he starts off his letter, he writes to Theophilus here, uh, in this case, saying, here's what I found out about Jesus. Verse number two. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen in them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse number three is a really important verse. Don't skip over that because it says that Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable doctrine for Bible-believing Christians. Some would say that Jesus didn't rise uh, from the grave bodily. It was only a spirit. Uh, and, and maybe his spirit lives on through all of us. It's not what it's talking about here. Some people would say that Jesus was a, a ghost. A ghost had come back and was now uh, showing himself as Jesus. But this verse here tells us that Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs and showed himself to hundreds of people who saw that Jesus Christ had bodily resurrected from the grave. Verse number four, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, ye have heard of me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, pause here for just a second and think about this. The, the apostles and all of Jesus' followers were waiting for a Messiah who would sit upon the throne of David, who would restore the kingdom to Israel. And currently during this time, uh, the Israelites were under Roman occupation and were basically slaves. And so they were waiting for Jesus to restore his kingdom. And Jesus, even when he said, hey guys, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna die, his apostle says, no, you're not. You're our leader, you're our king. You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he says, I can't. I'm gonna die and the third day, I'm gonna be resurrected. And so Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's resurrected the third day. And all the apostles are like, all right, yeah, let's go. He's back now, what's gonna happen? And he's like, all right, guys, I'm going back to heaven now. And they're like, wait, 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 what? Is this now when you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this now when you're going to be the king of the earth? And Jesus says, no, not yet. Verse number seven, he said unto them, it's not unto you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Verse number eight is what we sometimes refer to as the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is Jesus' last commandments that he gave his church before he ascended to heaven. Now, Jesus has entrusted with us a very, very special message. Sometimes I'll uh, tell my kids, hey, let your mom know this, and the message always gets messed up every single time. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? My wife says, why didn't you tell me you were going to the store? I told the, one of the kids to tell you. Well, they didn't tell me, and things always get messed up. Jesus wanted to be very clear, very clear on his message here. This message, which we sometimes refer to as the Great Commission, was repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we just saw it here in the book of Acts. Five different times this is recorded because Jesus wanted nothing to get messed up because this is the most important thing in all of the world. Jesus has entrusted you and I with a message that we call the gospel. Again, the word gospel means good news, good tidings, good message. And the good message that we bring is that Jesus Christ is the savior of mankind. This is the most important message you will ever hear in your entire life. If you're new with us here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, I want you to know that this is the message of our church. Uh, we're kind of a one-hit wonder, I guess you could say, when it comes to the message that we have because it's the message of God's word. And the message is this, God is perfect and holy. God has never sent one single solitary time. There's nothing God has ever done that's been wrong or, or needs to be uh, fixed in any way whatsoever. God is perfect and holy and God loves you despite your shortcomings, despite everything that you've done wrong in your life, God loves you individually. But you have rebelled against God. God told you what to do, you didn't wanna do it. You were given a choice to choose good versus evil. You've chosen evil. God says, don't do this, and you've done it anyways. You've been disobedient against God. You've rebelled against God. I've rebelled against God. And God has a word for it when we rebel against him, and that word is sin. You and I have sinned against a holy God. So God is perfect, holy, sinless. You and I have sinned against a holy God and broken his law. 
And because we've broken God's law and we have sinned against God, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned against God, you've sinned against God. And that puts us in a unique position because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter six, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. What you've earned as a result of your sin is death. And you might think to yourself, well, we're all gonna die one day. Is that really that big of a deal? Does it really matter that much? Here's the fact of the matter. There's not only coming a physical death when you take your last breath on planet Earth, but there's coming after that an eternal death, a spiritual death. You see, when we dig a hole and put your body in it and throw dirt on it and go back home and eat fried chicken, it's only beginning for you at that point. You get me? Eternity is forever, and you need to prepare for eternity. And the default destination for every single one of us, by default, is hell separation from God because of our sin. We've earned that. We deserve that. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm a really good dude. I mean, I, I try to be nice. I try to help other people. Do you really believe that God would send me to hell? I'm a good person. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. And being a good dude doesn't make up for all the wrong that you've done in your life. You can't cover it up. It's there. It must be dealt with. And so you can pay for your sin. And the only way to do that is to pay with your life and your eternal suffering in a place called hell. But I don't know about you, but I don't wanna do that. And I might not know you well, this might be your first time here, but I don't want you to go there. I don't want anybody to go there. And God doesn't either. So he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfectly sinless life. He never sinned one single solitary time because he was God, because he is holy, because he is perfect. And he did that so that he could die in your place. We sometimes refer to that as the substitutionary atonement. Somebody had to pay, somebody had to die, and Jesus died in my place. He died in your place because of his love for you. John 3, 16, one of the greatest verses in all of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means eternal death, eternal separation from God in hell, but have everlasting life. You can have your sins forgiven today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, but that's a decision you've got to make for yourself. I wish I could pray a blanket prayer for everyone in this room and then everyone would just automatically go to heaven. I wish you could pray a blanket prayer for our whole city and everybody just got to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. You've got to make a choice for yourself. And you must make a decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must come to a point where you realize you've sinned against the holy God. You cannot make it on your own. You deserve to go to hell, but you're sorry. And you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You could do that today. You could pray a prayer that says something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I realize that I deserve to go to hell. But today I'm praying and asking you to save me and forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, that's the gospel. God is holy, you are not, and you deserve judgment. Jesus came and died in your place, but you must make a choice for yourself. That's the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. And friend, it's the most important message you'll ever hear in your life, and it's the most important message we could ever share in our lives. And so our church 
has taken on the responsibility of sharing that message with every single person that we can find. You say, well, that's a, a great idea. Who decided that? Jesus did. That's what we're taking a look at today. The Great Commission. It's all about telling people about Jesus. You see, if we just gather together week after week, we sing some songs, we shake some hands, we hear a message, we laugh a little bit, and we go home, we've just been entertained. And unfortunately, many churches today have turned into an entertainment complex. Hey, we got some, some, some TV shows we'll let your kids watch to keep them entertained while you're over here uh, being entertained. We got uh, pastors who tell really funny jokes who tell really engaging stories, maybe even get people super fired up about stuff, get people chanting these uh, phrases together. That's great, but we have to share the gospel. It has to come back to the central message that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's what we're about. Oh, please don't get me wrong. The Bible has much to say. We see this as we go through the book of Ephesians. The Bible has much to say about how we live our lives. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna get into uh, four, five, and six. We're gonna take a look at how we're supposed to work, work with our coworkers, uh, how we're supposed to treat our spouse, uh, how we're supposed to treat our neighbors, uh, how we're supposed to treat ourselves and our bodies, uh, how we're supposed to make it on a day-to-day -day basis. The Bible speaks to all those things. But friend, let me tell you this. If you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, if you don't know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, everything else is just details because you're missing out on the most important thing. Hey, if you have a great marriage here on earth and you die 10 years from now and you go to hell, what use was it? If you're a really stellar uh, coworker and everybody in the office loves you to death and you're so nice to your neighbors and you even cut their grass, but you die and go to hell, what use is that? The Bible says, well, if a man could gain the whole world but lose his own soul, what good is that? It's no good at all. That's why for us, we got one message that we share. It's the gospel, it's the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus gives us marching orders here that we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission uh, is made up really of four commands. Go, win, baptize, teach. We see this in verse number eight. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. That's our plan. That's our marching orders. That's what we do. That's how we get it done. We go, we win, we baptize, we teach. Our church, every single week of the world, on Saturday mornings at 9.30, we go out into our communities, we invite people to church, tell people about Jesus every single week. And some of you have never been there. Guess what? You don't have to show up at 9.30 on Saturday mornings to go. You have an invitation in your bulletin today for our open house Sunday. Hand that out to one person this week and you have gone. There you go, one person. That's all it takes. Don't ever underestimate the value of one person. One person, that's all it takes. You're here today because someone valued you enough to share this message with you. My parents shared the message with me from the time I was a kid. And guess what? That one person that my parents shared with, I don't know that my dad has ever led another person to Christ in his entire life. I don't know that he has. Maybe he has, I'm not sure. I know my dad tries to live out his faith. I know my dad has a strong Christian witness. I don't know if my dad's ever sat somebody down and actually shared the gospel with them and seen them saved. But I, here's the thing that I do know. He got one, and there was value in this one. 
All it takes is one person. If God used you to reach one person, there'd be one more person snatched from the pits of hell, one more person useful to the kingdom. Hey, just go this week. And you say, well, I'm afraid that if I share my faith with somebody, if I invite somebody to church, I have a feeling that they might not come. They won't. I'll just, I'll just share, save you the trouble, okay? Nobody bats a thousand. Get this. Let me share something that's gonna blow your mind, all right? Jesus did not bat a thousand when it came to sharing truth with people. Did you know that? People rejected Jesus to his faith. Somehow, somehow we have this idea that if I share my faith with people, they're gonna get saved. And if they don't, it's because I don't know enough about the Bible or because I didn't do good enough job of sharing or I didn't have the answers to the questions that they had. Usually it's just the fact that people just aren't ready to receive truth. But we need to be looking for the person who's ready to receive truth. I need to be on the lookout for the person who does want to know about Jesus and what he's done for them. So we have to go. We win people to Christ. We tell people how they can know Jesus Christ as their savior. We wanna see people saved. We wanna see people born again. We wanna see people adopted into the family of God. That's what we do, but we can't stop there. Then we wanna see people get baptized. Uh, we, baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of a commitment that someone makes to being a follower of Jesus Christ in their lives. We wanna see people baptized, but then we also wanna teach people what the Bible says. Sure, we teach uh, on Sunday mornings like this. We'll teach on Sunday nights tonight at five o'clock. But I wanna encourage you, if you've never gone through some form of discipleship, every Christian should go through discipleship of some form or another to learn what you, what you need to know about the faith, to learn what it means to be a committed follower, to learn what that looks like in your day-to-day -day life, and to find out how you can pass that on to someone else. Uh, we, our discipleship course that we do here is about a 14-week course where we partner you up with another Christian and you go through the major doctrines of the Bible. I will have some folks this morning that will receive their discipleship certificates that have completed it. But the idea is this. I wanna know what I believe and why I believe it and how that changes my life. That's what teaching people the Bible is. And so for us, the Great Commission doesn't end when people uh, have just received an invitation to church. The Great Commission doesn't end for us whenever someone's been baptized or when they've completed their discipleship. The Great Commission ends when Jesus comes back. This is a lifelong process that we go through. We will never be finished with the work that we've been called to do. We just gotta keep plugging away. As we look at this passage of scripture, it's first of all important to know this. We're not responsible for the results, only obedience. When it comes to the Great Commission, this idea of go, win, baptize, and teach, it's not up to us to get the results. It's just up to us to actually do the work. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, I'm a data guy. I like spreadsheets. I like to look at numbers. I like uh, pie charts. I like graphs. I like to be able to look at uh, what we did this year versus what we did that next year and what the projections are for the, the year ahead. Oh, man, I love numbers. I love it. Here's the problem with the Great Commission you can't boil it down to numbers of success and failure. You just can't. What we can do is we can put together work goals. I've had a thing for, for me. I want to pass out at least 10 invitations to church, 10 gospel tracts per week. That's a goal that I have. Hey, what people do with that is totally up to them, uh, but I want to do my job at being obedient to what God's called me to do. I can't save anyone if I wanted to, but Jesus saves and I can introduce people to him, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 6 says it this way, I've planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know what that says there? We're just planting seeds. Another person comes by, waters that seed, but God takes care of the increase. It's just up to you and I to be obedient and do what God's called us to do. And I want to encourage every single person this week, find one person, just one, that you can give an invitation to church to, that you can uh, invite to our open house Sunday, uh, that you can give a gospel track to. Now, it's important to understand the, the cards that you have in your, uh, in your uh, bulletin today, they say open house Sunday on, we got a really cool graphic, and then on the back it tells about our open house Sunday. I want you to get this. If you, church family, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. That invitation is just that. It's an invitation to church. It does not have the gospel on it. So I would encourage you to grab a stack of tracks when you walk out today that have the gospel on it. Someone would not be able to find, unless they went to our church website, how to get to heaven from that open house flyer card. But the smaller ones that we have, I want to say that they're like four by six in size. Those have the gospel on the back. If you left one of those with a cashier at Long's, they could find heaven from there. You with me? That's really important that you have those. Uh, I have them in the little side pocket uh, that in, in our car. So we go through the drive-thru. I can pop one out that way. I'm getting out of the car uh, to go to, to uh, Lowe's or something. I can grab a handful and stick them in my shirt pocket. I always want to have those on me uh, so that I can share my faith with people. Oftentimes I'll give one to somebody and they'll say, oh, I, I'm busy on Sundays. I have a church that I go to. I'm of a different belief system. I said, no worries. On the back, there is some information that talks about how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. Read that whenever you get a chance. And guess what? My job is done. It's now the job of the Holy Spirit to take over from there. It's not our job to see results, only to be obedient. As we look at the Great Commission, as we find it here uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we can really break it down into three sections. First of all, we see the person, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one giving the commission. Again, the word commission comes from the idea that he is committing something to us. You can either receive a commission or you can reject the commission. But we as a church have chosen to receive this commission and get the work done. Here's the message. Jesus is coming again. Guarantee you, no doubt about it, 100%, Jesus is coming back. He promised that. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. When I'm done, I will come again for you. He's promised that he's coming back again. So what that means for us is that we do not know when. We don't know when, but we must be prepared. That's the thing about it. How many of you this past week, when it came to hurricane preparations, you said, I was 100% on point. I was ready from the time they said it was time. We were ready. Raise your hand if that was you. We were ready, 100%. Bring it, right? How many of you say, I was moderately prepared. I could have dealt with a little bit of light rain and some wind, I mean, you know, without a powder for a little bit. Raise your hand. How many of you say, I was totally winging it and hope this thing missed us all together? <laughs> there you go. Good for you. Here's the thing for me. My wife texts me on uh, Tuesday, and she's like, I'm at Target, and they have cleared out Target. She was like, we need to get ready for this. And I told her, I said, let this, I sent her a text message, let this be me on record saying that nothing is going to happen. Just mark this down right here. 
And I said, but because I have a wife and I have kids and I'm responsible for, for a, a church, I want to make sure that we are prepared. And so we got prepared. Uh, we got copious amounts of water. We bought cases of hot dogs and, uh, and we made sure all of our propane tanks were filled and we bought lots of uh, frozen hamburgers and we bought a lot of buns and stuff like that. And we absolutely went nuts at Sam's Club, right? We made sure we had all of our lanterns and we had D batteries. Nobody uses D batteries for anything. And I don't know if you bought D batteries lately, but it's like 20 bucks for two. It's like, what the world? And every lantern we have has four, right? <laughs> and my wife believes that every child needs their own lantern, right? What the world? It's been $100 in D batteries. Are you kidding me? But we were prepared in the chance, I, I believe very small percentage, small percentage chance that something were to come, we were prepared, right? Here's the thing when it comes to Jesus coming back, he's 100% coming back. This is not a maybe he'll come back or, or maybe it'll miss us this time around. He's definitely coming back. No doubt about it, 100%, but we don't know when. So we need to be prepared at all times. If Jesus Christ came back today, would you be ready? If you were to die today, you fall over dead in your seat here on a Sunday morning, are you ready to see Jesus face to face? Or do you need a little bit more time to prepare? Or you can just kind of winging it and hoping for the best. Let me just tell you this. Winging it and hoping for the best might work with a tropical storm. It will not work with Jesus. I promise you that. You can't wing it and just hope for the best. You need to know for sure that you are prepared 100%. And here's the great thing about preparation for Jesus' return. It doesn't take weeks, months, and years. It takes about five minutes to make sure that my heart and my head are right and ready for Jesus to come back. And to know for sure that I am a child of God that I'm born again, that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That takes like five, 10 minutes. You need to know for sure that you're prepared for that because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, those of us that are our children of his, we need to be busy. We need to be doing the work that he left us to do. Nothing more frustrating as a parent than when you tell your kids to do something and you leave and you come home and it's not done. Hey, kids, I'm going out to get dinner. When I get back, have the table set, have your hands washed, be ready to eat dinner, and you walk back in the front door, and the kids are playing video games. Are you kidding me? I just told you. Make sure that you have your room cleaned up before bedtime. It's bedtime. My room's not cleaned up. I gave you one simple thing to do, and you're not done. Nothing more frustrating than a parent to say, do this, and your kids don't do it. They do something else that they want to do. Jesus says, I'm coming back, but in the meantime, I want you to go and tell the entire world about me and what I've done for you. And then he comes back, and what are we doing? We're hanging out at church, watching funny videos and laughing and singing some songs and going home. And he goes, wait, what are you guys doing? I told you what to do, and you're not busy doing it. Jesus told the story of a, of a master in Luke chapter number 12. The master was going off on a long journey, and he told his servant, hey, I'm going on a journey. I don't know when I'll be back, but I need you to take care of everything in the house while I'm gone. And the, the servant didn't take care of the things in the house. You know what he did? He went out and got drunk. He began to waste his master's things. He didn't take care of the house. And then the master came back one day and goes, what were you doing? I gave you all these things and I gave you one job to do and you can't get it done. The picture is that Christ is coming back one day. We gotta be busy doing his work, not what we wanna do. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and his command that he's given us. So we see the person is Jesus Christ. We see that the power for this comes from the Holy Spirit. 
Acts chapter one, verse number eight, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit. Then the question comes, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? You accept Jesus Christ as your savior. Once you are saved, once you are born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside every single believer. And he gives us the power that we need to carry out the work and get it done. You see, you and I can't share our faith on our own because we're too afraid. We don't have all the right answers. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to even broach the subject sometimes, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and teaches us what we need to know. The Holy Spirit is our power for our witness. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need to carry out the work. The Holy Spirit's the power for our witness. Acts chapter four, verse number 31 says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. I'm telling you this, when the Holy Spirit has a hold of your heart, you can speak the word of God with boldness. Hey, look, this guy right here, public speaking is one of the last things in the world I want to do. But the Holy Spirit has given me a boldness to be able to speak the word of God and he'll give it to you if you'll seek it, if you'll desire it, if you'll ask God for opportunities to share your faith, he'll give them to you, I promise you that. The Holy Spirit is also the presence of God in our lives. When Jesus promises to be with us always, even until the end of the world in Matthew 28, he's saying, I'm leaving you my Holy Spirit to go with you, to share your faith, to be able to be a faithful witness for me. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives. And finally, we see in this passage here, the plan. Take a look at verse number eight again, if you would, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. It's interesting how Jesus mentions these four areas that were to be witnesses. First of all, he talks about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was their own community. Uh, that's where they were expected to make the first impact. Their community, their hometown. For us, it would be the city of Honolulu. This is where we're supposed to first get it done. Secondly, he says, then I want you to go to Judea. Judea was kind of like the county, uh, if you will. The outlying areas, we could say for us, this is the island of Oahu. This is our, this is our Judea, I guess you could say. Reach out the whole island, but first we're gonna start in our community. Then he says, I want you to go to Samaria. Now, Samaria is unique because Jews were not supposed to go to Samaria. Uh, Samaria was a place that was populated by people that were generally half Jew and half some other type of, of, uh, of nationality or ethnicity. And Jews and Samaritans did not get along at all. There was a heavy, heavy racism in that day, Jews against Samaritans, and Jews did not like Samaritans at all. If you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus went and sat down at the well and asked the lady, he said, hey, can I have something to drink? And she says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You shouldn't have anything to do with me whatsoever. But Jesus doesn't see people as black, white, or any type of ethnicity. He sees people as people. And he says, when you go, I want you to go to the places that you're not welcome. I want you to go to the places that other people would not go. I want you to go to the places that will be difficult for you. And so for us, as who we call a Baptist church, uh, we have a map that we work through to our evangelism throughout our city. And you know what we go? We go to every single neighborhood, every single one. Doesn't matter what the, uh, the demographic of that area is. Doesn't matter what the uh, median income of that area is. We go to any neighborhood that there is. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. And so Jesus says, 
every neighborhood. Don't skip any, every single one. Every single person, don't skip anybody. I had a golden opportunity this past weekend, or this past week to be able to share my faith with a woman who was Buddhist. And I began to ask her a lot of questions about her faith and what she believed. And it was an amazing opportunity. Most people look and go, that person's Buddhist. She's been Buddhist her whole life. Her parents were Buddhists. There's no hope with her. Move on to the next person. No, 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 no. Every person needs to hear the gospel. You can't skip them because they got their own religion. Hey, look, you and I had our own religion before we came to Christ. It was self. It was me. And some people here were saved out of false religion. Hey, don't skip people because they've already got their own thing going on. Tell them the truth. Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then I want you to take this whole thing worldwide. That's the idea. That's the plan is a worldwide impact. And we are witnesses. Now, what does a witness do? What's the job of a witness? A witness simply tells what they've seen. If you think about a courtroom and witnesses being called to the witness stand, it's not the job of the witness to come up with some, uh, some really good uh, one-liner to get the jury's attention. It's not the job of the witness to try to sway public opinion. It's not the job of the witness to, to uh, be able to convince other people. The job of the witness is to say, here's what I saw, here's what I experienced, and here's what happened to me. And that's your job, and that's mine. As we're witnesses for Jesus Christ, we just need to say, here's what happened to me, and the same thing could happen to you. You see, being a witness doesn't require any theological degree. Being a witness doesn't require that you read the Bible from cover to cover. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers to life's questions. Being a witness just says, hey, here's what happened to me. I often tell folks when they're new to our community outreach, uh, they get a little bit nervous going to somebody's house and uh, seeing somebody in the front yard and inviting them to church. He said, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? I always tell them the same thing. You will know almost every question that they will ask you about our church. And they're like, really? People ask these questions. What time does the service start? 10 a.m., you know, because you're here. Some of you, that's news to you because you think it's like 10, 15, 10, 20, 10, 30. It's actually 10 a.m., believe it or not. So uh, anyways, um, 10 a.m. Second of all, do you have something for my kids? Yes, we have something for every age kid on a Sunday morning. Every age kid, bring them. Thirdly, where do we park? We'll have a parking team waiting for you out front. We have a guest parking right next door to you. Some of our folks find street parking. You'll find an amazing place to park. We'll make sure of that. Uh, okay, that's usually the most of the questions people have. Where are you located? When you tell them where, you're, where we're at. Simple as that. I've never in the entire time that I've been sharing my faith with people, never had anybody ask me to explain the seven seal judgment of the book of Revelation. I never had that happen. I've had people ask goofy questions before, like did Adam have a belly button and things like that. Uh, but those types of things aren't really big questions. Most of us don't share our faith because we're afraid of what people will say. Just tell what's happened to you. Hey, I don't really understand everything. All I just know is what Jesus did for me. It's changed my life. It's changed my kid's life. It's changed my marriage. I'm a better person because of it. That's what a witness does. They tell what they've seen. A witness tells what they have experienced. Hey, here's what's changed in my life. If you're ever uh, up late at night flipping through channels on TV, you come across infomercials late at night, right? And you know, sometimes you'll even be watching like, oh, this is a really cool show. Oh, wait a minute. This is not a show. This is an infomercial. What is the number one tool that infomercials use to try to get you to buy their product? 
testimonials. You know why? Because if it works for you, maybe it could work for me. And here's the thing. That's not a marketing trick. That's a Bible truth. You see people over and over again telling their story. You see Paul, he got uh, taken before a court. You know what he says? Hey guys, before you uh, hand down the sentence on me, I just wanna share with you what Jesus has done for me. And the Bible says, and then he preached Jesus. Oh, I love that. He just says, hey, here's what Jesus has done for me. You know why? Because the most powerful tool you have in your arsenal for sharing your faith is your own personal testimony, what Jesus has done for you. All you have to do is tell what you've seen and what you've experienced. Next, we see that we have a worldwide responsibility. Oh, we've got a responsibility, first of all, to our street, to our community, to our workplace, to our friends, families, that we know that we have influence over for sure. And we need to take that, that responsibility seriously, but we also have a worldwide responsibility. It doesn't stop here in our city. We have to take this worldwide. We have to, first of all, be witnesses in our own community. It doesn't do us any good to take a message to Africa, to Thailand, to Malaysia, when we're not taking it across the street. You see, I grew up in a church where twice a year we would have a missions offering, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. Twice a year, Christmas and Easter, you'd have missions offerings. We gave money to missions, but we never told anybody about our faith. We never shared with another person. We just sent money to someone else who we hoped was getting the job done. You see, it doesn't do any good to reach people in Africa if we're not reaching people on Atkinson Street. You with me? It doesn't do us any good to do that when we have people who need to know Jesus here. So our first responsibility is to our community. Secondly, we must be witnesses around the world. How do we get the message around the world? Two ways. The first way, since the beginning of who we call a Baptist church almost five years ago, I began praying that God would raise up a man and a woman in our church to leave our church to go plant another church on our island or to go to a foreign field where someone is not preaching the gospel to see people get saved. I pray that God would raise up missionaries from our church. And maybe throughout our missions emphasis over the next several days, God would begin to speak to your heart about why not you. And let me just tell you this, everybody has a reason not to be faithful, but all of us have a reason to be faithful. And I wanna encourage you to ask God, God, would you have me to take the gospel down my street? Would you have me to take the gospel to another part of our island? Would you have me to start a church? Would you have me to, to serve as a missionary in some capacity? God, how would you use my life and make it personal? The second way is through our giving. Inside your bulletin, grab your bulletin if you would. Inside your bulletin, there's a commitment card here uh, that uh, I want you to take a look at. This is our missions commitment card. I wanna encourage everybody to take this this week and pray for it. We're gonna have a special missions offering next week, but we take, uh, as we receive an offering every single week, we have our missions giving as well. And on this, this is a commitment. You notice that there's no place to sign, there's no place to put your name or anything like that. This isn't a commitment or a contractual obligation. This is to help us to plan in our missions giving. And as people give through their regular tithes and offerings on a weekly basis, many people will give on a weekly or monthly basis in their, to their missions giving as well. And every single dollar that goes, that's earmarked for mission, goes to a missionary that is getting the work done. Uh, our church uh, currently supports the Kai Point Baptist Church in Hawaii Kai. Uh, Pastor Rafael Soto is a missionary of ours. We currently uh, support uh, 
Pastor Abram Thomas in Inglewood, California, uh, at the New Heights Baptist Church there. We currently partner with uh, Youth for Christ to be able to get into the McKinley High School Christian uh, Club and be able to share the gospel with, with public school kids uh, throughout the week. And there's other partners that we want, people that we want to partner with, missionaries that are getting the work done. We just need the resources to do it. And so I want to encourage every single person to consider making missions a part of your regular giving. This is above your tithes and offerings. This is above what you normally give, but you get to say, hey, I want to help get the work done. Next week, I want to encourage every single person to bring some offering of some sort. The value is not important. The heart behind it is incredibly important to give to these missionary church planters. They're stepping out on faith, believing that God is able, going to a city where they know really no one for the purpose of starting a church for one purpose, again, the gospel. They're going to teach people about Jesus and how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven. And we as a church family want to help that. You know why? Because who we call a Baptist church was that church five years ago. We started from scratch, moved to a city, really knowing no one, got a building, set up some chairs, started preaching Jesus. And you're here today because people five, six, seven years ago invested in this, and this is our opportunity to continue it. This is not a pyramid scheme or some pay it forward scheme. This is a biblical plan. Churches start other churches. This is how it gets done. And we get to be a part of that. I want to encourage you to make it a part of your regular giving. You can fill out a commitment card and turn it in next week. We won't turn these in this, this week. This is just for you to take a look at. I want you to take that card, though, home and pray over it. Ask God what he would have you to give for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel worldwide. Final three ways that we make a difference here today. First of all, we make a difference in our living How we live our life will determine uh, how receiving other people are of the gospel. I, uh, I'm reading through uh, 2 Samuel right now as part of my regular Bible reading. And I, I, forget, I forget if it's uh, 2 Samuel 8, I think I was in today, that I read. And David had sinned with Bathsheba uh, and all the mess that came with that, had her husband killed, had a child out of wedlock, the child died. And one of the tr- things that just absolutely gripped my soul as I read it it said that, that the Lord was, was upset with David because David has, had caused his name to be blasphemed among the unbelievers. And I thought to myself, God, help me to never do anything to hurt your name, anything. And I thought to myself, the way that I live my life would cause people to turn their back on God. God, help me not to do that. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a pastor to pray a prayer like that. Every single one of us, someone's watching your life to find out if you really believe what you say you believe. Do you really have your faith where you say that you have it? And we make a difference by our living. Secondly, we make a difference in our giving. Again, giving is a heart indicator. The Bible says where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. And that if I give, that shows what's important to me. And I can make a difference in my giving. Here's the thing, folks. Uh, giving 20 bucks to Panda Express this week won't make a difference, but for about two hours. But 20 bucks given this month to a missionary could, could mean all the difference in somebody getting saved, somebody not getting saved. Hey, taking 100 bucks and going out and, and blowing it on something that I really, really want probably won't make a difference because my heart will continue to want something. But giving $100 to a, to a missionary will make all the difference in the world. Maybe not in their life, but it will in mine. Angela and I, when we were uh, new in the ministry, we, we were absolutely flat broke. We had no money to our name whatsoever. And our missions conference came around and we didn't, we'd re- our budget was stretched as thin as it could possibly get. 
Uh, and one of the things that Angela did, she took my uh, shirts to the dry cleaners and she had my, all my shirts pressed and dry cleaned uh, every single month. It cost like 15 bucks. And she said, sweetheart, I want to give, but we don't have anything to give. She said, let's stop getting your shirts dry cleaned. She said, I'll iron all of your shirts and I'll starch them and everything. She said, just so we can take that $15 and give it to missions. Hey, I don't know if that made a big difference for any missionary out there. Chances are 15 bucks probably wouldn't buy much. But I know what it did in our family to make a sacrifice because Jesus is worthy. And I'm telling you, that was a game changer for us. And it came down to the point where we had given everything that we knew how and what to give that our final thought was, God, would you just take our lives? Can we just serve you full time with our lives? That was kind of the next level for us. And God allowed us to do that. I don't know where you're at in your giving. I would just encourage you, take it up a notch because Jesus is worthy. And it'll do something for you that I cannot possibly explain. Final thought, make a difference in our going. How I live, how I give, how I go. This will make all the difference in the world for you. I wanna encourage you to go this week. Maybe it's just next door. Maybe you're gonna take an invitation to church. Maybe one of our open house flyers, bake up, play the cookies, take them to your neighbor next door. Hey, some of you don't even know your next door neighbor's first names. Meet them this week. It's funny, sometimes people lament about how, you know, people don't know their neighbors anymore these days and everybody just wants to go inside and watch TV and doesn't want to spend time with anybody. Okay, then be the difference. Be the person that makes a difference, that, that reaches out and says, hey, I know I've been living next to you for like two years. I have no idea what your name is. I'm Anthony. I just wanted to drop off a plate of cookies for you today and just say, hey. Hey, it might not make a difference for your neighbor. I guarantee you it'll make a difference for you. Just go this week. That's all it takes. We have uh, two families that are here that are friends of ours from California today, and both of them have personally impacted my life in their giving and their going. Uh, we had the opportunity several years ago, we were eating uh, Father's Day lunch at an Outback Steakhouse. And uh, we were talking with our waitress for a little bit, and, uh, and at the end of the meal, I gave her an invitation to church. She said, hey, I want to give you an invitation to, to Lancaster Baptist Church. And she says, no way. And I go, what? And she goes, you go to church there? And I go, yeah. And she said, do you know Eldon Lofgren? And I said, I do. And Eldon and Jonah were this today. And I said, I do. And he said, um, she said, he was my bus captain when I was a kid. She was a 20-something-year-old girl working at Outback, had a, had a child out of wedlock, divorced, uh, made a mess of her life. But she said, I remember riding his bus when I was a kid. She said, my brother used to always get nosebleeds, and he, was ta he would take his handkerchief and give it to my brother when he got nosebleeds. And she goes, wow, I haven't thought about that in so long. And so I asked her, I said, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? She goes, oh, I did. She said, I did on that bus, I remember. She said, I've been a, far away from the Lord. And she said, but I want to come back. And I go, no better way to come back. And so uh, we invited Silky to come to church with us. And she came that next Sunday and sat with us. She ended up getting baptized there, uh, ended up walking with Jesus. And it was just like, wow. One person went to a neighborhood, picked up some kid on a bus, loved them and loved their, their brother and made a difference in somebody's life there on out. Had the opportunity to travel with the, Galdamez family to El Salvador. I've not been on a lot of mission trips. I had an opportunity to go there and to see a church established because one guy said, I want a missionary to come to my hometown and to, to teach people about Jesus. And the, the Friedenstein family is serving Cahutepeque, uh, El Salvador now because God used a man in his giving and his going to make that happen. I, I didn't know that either one of them were going to be here today. I just happened to look out and see him this morning and was encouraged by that. But I'm telling you this, don't think about what you can do for yourself. Think about what you can do for others. Don't think about what you can do for this week. Think about what you can do for the long haul. That's what missions is all about. It's a mandate that we're given to go, 
to win, to baptize, to teach. But it starts with going. Pray that God will give you the opportunity this week. One person. Final thought. If you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, please do not leave here until you know for sure that Jesus Christ has saved you and forgiven you and heaven's your home. Again, it, preparation doesn't take weeks, months, and years. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. For those of us who know Jesus is our Savior, let's get the work done and go this week.